Christine, today's episode is going to boil down to one little thing, and that is persuasion. Ooh, well, as someone who is easily persuaded to do things, uh, (laughs) I will buckle up. Lend me your ears, Christine, because (laughs) you're going to see just how how good one man, Giacomo Casanova, was at persuading people to believe he was a full-time occultist and got them to basically make him a social elite for it. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay, this is already getting the vibe of like my favorite movie, which is Catch Me If You Can, you know. <laughs> Just convince everybody. Giacomo and Leonardo DiCaprio happen to both sound a little similar in my books. Uh, I don't, you tell me. There's a little Italian going on. And the truth, as you'll find out, is that this charming, occult-loving man actually spent his time running from one place to another. Very catch me if you can, because mm-hmm. that's what scammers do, so they don't get caught. I just love a good scam story. I cannot wait. Um. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Rituals, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm M. Schultz. And I'm Christine Schieffer. Every week, we'll explore the evolution of spiritualism and the occult through stories, practices, and the impact on modern culture. I am so glad and also so sad that you mentioned to, uh, not to catch Predator, uh, catch me if you can. <laughs> That's the one you always mention. That's the one I love. Because catch me if you can is exactly what I wrote in my notes for this no story. Because it just, it just felt like the overarching theme was a con artist doing what he does best and making it work. There's something about a con artist story. It's, you know, true crime, but it's also seeing humanity get duped. And I just, I love a scam story. I can't wait. I think because part of you knows you'd be the dupey when you wish you could be the duper. (laughs) I know. I think that's what it is. All right. Well, let's crack into it. So since we're talking about persuasion today, I thought I'd ask, how persuasive of a person do you truly think you are, even though we just discussed you'd probably be the dupey, but I want to know your confidence rating for yourself. Probably far too high, but I, I, do feel like, <laughs> I do feel like I'm pretty persuasive. And I think that comes, I mean, you and I have had long conversations about this. We're not going to get into it, but I think that comes a lot from past experiences where I've had to really monitor people's, you know, feelings, expressions, like, mm-hmm. you know, that hyper awareness of what people are thinking, feeling at every second. Childhood trauma. Yeah, let's put the little <laughs> sparkly childhood trauma gif in there. <laughs> so I think that is where I get my like, I, I think I'm persuasive in a lot of ways. And I think um, I'm also oftentimes easily persuaded. So, you know, maybe they go hand in hand in some ways where I know what'll trick me. So I know what'll trick someone else. What yeah, about you? Enough. Are you persuasive? I don't know. I think before I had to really sit with myself and look within, I would have said, oh, yeah, I'm persuasive. But I really can't think of a single thing I've ever persuaded anyone to do. (laughs) Okay, here's the thing. I think you can really persuade me to do things when I already sort of want to do them. But I'm like, I need someone else to like really push me into it. So if I'm like, I don't think it's a good idea. And you're like, oh, come on, do it, do it, do it, do it. Then I'll do it. See, I don't think I'm very good at being persuasive then. I just think I'm a really good hype man. You're just pushy. Oh, I'm just, oh, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> we'll talk about this off air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think of something like, I mean, is there something you've ever convinced somebody of that like they didn't plan on doing until you from A to Z, you were responsible? I gotta say, 
I don't know. That's a great question. I, I feel like I need to ponder that later. I will say I feel like I'm very persuasive in conversation at getting people to <laughs> to trust me or like think that. What a fun game we're playing. How manipulative are you? That's what's disturbing. I've had conversations with people where I'm like, I'm probably my therapist. When I say people, I mean my therapist. Uh, <laughs> Where I've said, like, you know, I'm a little worried at how manipulative I can be and how, like, good I am at it. And I think it does come from that place of, like, childhood trauma. But, you know, it is a skill in the right hands. Mine probably aren't the right hands, but, you know. It's a tricky mix because I feel like we came from similar backgrounds. And I feel like when you are raised by... Um, shout out to our parents by manipulative people and now you have (laughs) developed a guilt complex it's almost like you know how to harness the power of being manipulated yourself because you know what will guilt people like absolutely yeah 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 I I don't know if I'm persuasive but I certainly know how to cater to knowing what people want to hear so maybe that's the that's part of it if I wanted to be tricky I was trying to think desperately of a time that I have convinced somebody of something and I think the only time was of you starting a podcast Yeah, and you did. And I think that was probably your best move yet. So keep it up. (laughs) I tried once and I'm going to end on the high. Honestly, yeah. Yeah. Quit while you're ahead because we got a good thing going and I'm very thankful you I almost had tricked me into it, but you did persuade me into it. Did you ever hear about the Tinder swindler? Oh, boy, that was a great documentary. Yes, 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 yes. So I bring him up because similar to to our topic today, he was a man who lured women with a fake idea of who he was. He claimed to be rich and important and he used them for money. And Casanova was kind of similar, except instead of looking for money, he just was using it to crawl into, climb up the social ladder and crawl into some occult spaces. Wow. I like how you initially said crawl up the social ladder because I feel like that's (laughs) what I try to do. I just, I'm like hanging off and I'm like, no, I'm not going to get anywhere. So hang on. Did Casanova, is that why we have this name, Casanova? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Isn't that silly? I always thought, I was like, whatever I heard Casanova, I always have one particular opinion of it, but... You know, I've never thought of him as, like, someone in the occult world. I had no idea. No idea. So here we go. Are you ready to hear about Giacomo Casanova? I've never, never been more ready. Lure me in. (laughs) Okay. Well, the very first fun fact of it all, his name's Giacomo. Didn't know that. (laughs) And uh, Casanova is someone who seems mythological because he seems like a character from a book, but he actually was a real person. Mm. His reputation has lived on mostly because of his memoir called Story of My Life, which has been called Legendary. Looking forward to the day someone says that about our book, A Haunted Road Atlas. Go check yeah. it out. <laughs> yeah, what what's that about? Also, the fact that you can write a book just called Story of My Life, which is literally the definition of the word memoir. Like, you just wrote, <laughs> this is a story about me, and it was somehow legendary. That goes to show this guy was, yeah, Something powerful. Else. Yeah, Something yeah. else. One Casanova expert is quoted as saying about his book, it's probably the greatest autobiography ever written. In its scope, its size, the quality of its prose, it's as fresh today as when it first appeared. Whoa, is this thing on Audible? Because I want to check it out. Keep in mind, the endorsement we got on the back of our book is literally from ourselves. (laughs) We wrote our own endorsement. That's embarrassing, but it's true. (laughs) So the book itself, the reason probably why it uh, just sold like hotcakes is because it covers his tons of love affairs, (gasps) arrests, 
escapes <gasps> and all his travels and him meeting the elites of the world. So okay. that makes sense. That makes That's sense. not what our book is about. So it doesn't it it, it, <laughs> it tracks why we don't have experts that study ours, you know. Right. And the latter came from his exploiting of the occult, which is like the cherry on top to me. And we're going to get into that. But his life is kind of one big zigzag because he was usually on the run. Mm-hmm. Allah, catch me if you can. Mm-hmm. Except Tom Hanks wasn't hot on the trail. He was never staying in one place for very long, and usually that was because he was forced to go. Okay, okay. So Giacomo Casanova was born in Venice in April 1725 to young parents who were both actors, which was a job that was pretty much looked down on back then. Oh, interesting. And sadly, his dad passed away when he was just eight years old and his mother toured as an actress. Mm. So little Casanova just hung out with grandma a lot. And while he was with grandma, he got his first taste of magic, which (gasps) was an experience very Which memorable. were her snickerdoodles. <laughs> <laughs> no, not quite. It was the sweater made of love in every stitch. <laughs> Here's the thing. This is a weird one, a weird way to be introduced into magic. But he got a lot of nosebleeds as a kid. So his grandma <laughs> took him to see a witch, which... Oh, um okay. Not the route my mom took when I had a lot of nosebleeds. <laughs> <laughs> the witch apparently did some sort of magic on him and told him that he was going to meet a charming lady and that his happiness depended on it and keep in mind he's eight years old wait so, like, a second the, that's yeah the that's pressure a lot. is on it's a lot to load up on a kid with a nosebleed you know you will never be happy until you meet a charming lady oh my god yep. so that night i guess he found his charming lady because he saw a woman dressed like a queen come out of his chimney <laughs> uh, are you sure his nosebleed hadn't gone on for a little too long and he was just <laughs> feeling woozy because what are you talking about? Are we sure it wasn't December 25th and yeah. Santa was in drag? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so Casanova's reaction was to think it was either staged or he was dreaming and he didn't even really believe in sorcerers or witches, but he did recognize their influence in getting others to believe. So sure, sure. I think this was kind of... Uh, I don't know how real this story was or how real that woman was. Maybe should have called 911 if someone was breaking in <laughs> a la chimney. But I think it was just perfectly timed that he he found this witch and and she said, you're going to meet a woman. And it was just kind of the first time he had it like been convinced almost. of something. Yeah. yeah, that's fascinating. The power of persuasion. Can you imagine she was just like lost and fell into a chimney and then like <laughs> somehow changed this guy's whole entire life and <laughs> created one of the most like powerful, influential people? I mean, I don't know how she fell into the chimney, but, you know, whatever. What a perfect day to fall into a chimney, though, because 24 hours ago, I think a witch said you would. (laughs) So Casanova grew up and went to college, and he graduated with a law degree. I want to say this again to you. He graduated with a law degree at 17. Oh, sure. Okay. Which, like, either he was a genius or the education system was very different back then. Yeah, I think Maybe a bit of both, but probably mostly that the educate. Like, remember, we always talk about how people went to Harvard to study medicine at 15 or whatever. Like, that's that's just how they did it back then. Can you imagine a 17 year old today being your lawyer? Mm -mm. (laughs) Honestly, I'd probably be persuaded and speaking of persuasion and be like, I don't know. He seems like he knows what he's doing. Honestly, I think I'd fall for it. Mm -hmm. Anyway. The problem was, that was apparently not the problem. The problem was that he also picked up a pretty nasty gambling addiction at college. <gasps> oh, no. That would follow him through the rest of his life. Oh, no. So after that, Casanova went to study for a career in the church. He's taking a sharp left turn. Wow. He's like, gotta get religious. Whoa. 
So he worked in Rome, and this feels like a job that isn't just like your everyday entry internship. He goes to Rome, and he gets a job from the cardinal that was the second in command to the pope. Oh, sure, 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 sure. You know, it happens. I'm telling you, this feels a little catch me if you can. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's just like how he was magically a lawyer. He got a job, a high-ranking job very quickly. And while he's in Rome, he's networking a lot, making all sorts of connections, which I'm not surprised if you're like a degree away from the Pope. Like people probably want to know you. Great point. And this is something that he'd become very good at. It would get him through life quite a bit. I imagine he was just like a real schmoozer, like a real. Yeah. And there's something to be said for kind of being in that position of like an assistant or an intern or, you know, where you're getting your you're kind of. If you have your ear open, like you are catching all this information and intel, Mm -hmm. you're learning, but you're kind of in the background. So people don't necessarily expect it from you. But um, yeah, I can definitely see how that would have given him a jump start to all his antics. And honestly, I mean, I don't know if he was actually like assistant to the Pope or anything, (laughs) but I got to say there really is some um, just a moment of recognition to assistants because they seem to be in the background, but they always know. So, I mean, they're in control of what everyone else is that's in the front doing so you and i and eva have had hours long conversations where we're just telling stories from when we worked as assistants just the stuff we saw the secrets we've gathered the like weirdness that we've i don't know there's something about being in that role where people just kind of ignore you and you're able to be a fly on the wall which is wild because those people also have assistants and like should know how important an assistant You'd is and how hard so. they work. But anyway, all that goes to say that, you know, yeah, he may be in the background, but I promise you every assistant since the dawn of time knows a lot more than they probably mm-hmm. would ever let on. So you're right. I think at these parties, he's probably really schmoozing it up and he has intel and he's getting more intel to make his job, you know. It's a very powerful role he's in. Totally. Which is also overlooked, which is a, in its own way a privilege. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he's recognized that the art of persuasion is making a lot of connections early on in life. So not only does he have this role, but he's also a real smooth talker. Yeah. But while studying for his career in the church, everything begins to fall because he lost his virginity. <gasps> Remember, a career in the church. He lost yeah, his wait, virginity yeah. to two sisters. <gasps> What? Ooh la la. The drama, the drama, the drama. Just the fact that it's even like he lost it. Like, it's not like, oh, he slept with. It's like he lost his virginity to two sisters. What in the world? Yeah. Like he slept with two people, losing his his purity. Ugh, yeah. And it was to two sisters. So he was kicked out of the church and he started traveling around trying to find his next calling. And his next calling for him happened to be the military and playing the violin. (laughs) Why not? You know, we got to keep it interesting. Throw it in there. And an interesting tidbit that makes him seem not completely heartless was that Casanova often acted as a healer or a caretaker when people needed him for help. Oh, that's nice. So, for instance, when he was a kid, he helped a friend get through smallpox after he had gotten through it. And when he was 21, he saved the life of a wealthy Venetian senator. Well, what? He's just he's just helps wherever he can. So when he saved this Venetian senator to pay Casanova back for saving him, the senator gave him tons of money and bought him expensive clothes and got him into high society events and basically allowed him to live a lavish life. That sounds like a rom-com in the making, you know, like 
it right does. place, right time, and you save someone's life from choking, like, you know, do the Heimlich, and suddenly you're, like, living the dream, or you're made in Manhattan, and <laughs> suddenly you're in the right place at the right time. I'm just saying, I feel like we could make a script off this. I will say, if I ever had to perform the Heimlich on someone, I certainly hope that they are feeling generous and have the means to do that. If that's going to get me invited to parties, you know? Yeah, like, sure, I'll do it. I'd at least like to be invited to a party, for sure. For sure. So, unfortunately, this lavish life that the senator has offered him does not last very long because Casanova tries to pull a little stunt. Uh-oh. What? No, you got to lay low when you're in the... He, I guess he's still learning. Okay. Yeah, you got to be grateful. Got to be grateful. Take a step back. Uh-huh. But trying to be this funny, charismatic guy, he pulls a prank by digging up a newly buried corpse. What? And I don't really know the rest of that prank. All I know is it involved a newly buried corpse. But he shocks the man that he was trying to prank, and he shocks him into paralysis. What? <laughs> what a fun prank. <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> Not like, a good look. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Oh. Not a good look. So Casanova was forced to leave Italy, which, like, can you imagine? The whole country? I've- which makes me think the person who was that shocked must have been pretty powerful, which now, now you're just shamed by the whole country. Yeah, that's bad move. Bad move. So once again, he is now a nomad. And now this is where his experiences in the occult start to come into play. Mm-hmm. But remember how being the healer brought him rewards. So he found the same result came from joining some secret societies. Okay, okay. Up next, Casanova finds himself in the ranks of some well-known occult groups, but it could all have been to benefit his social status. It's hard to blame him, though, you know? I agree. You tell yourself it's only a movie. None of this could ever happen to you. You feel relieved until you discover what you're watching is based on actual events. Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa and Greg from the Spotify original from ParCast, Serial Killers. In our Halloween special, Real Horror, we're spotlighting three of the most iconic horror films of all time and telling the terrifying true stories that inspired them. Recovering the real influences behind characters like Ghostface from the 90s mega-hit Scream, Hannibal Lecter and Buffalo Bill from the Oscar-winning thriller The Silence of the Lambs, and Leatherface from the 70s cult classic The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Enjoy Real Horror, the Serial Killer's three-part Halloween special. Listen to all three episodes the final week of October, free and only on Spotify. Giacomo Casanova was in his mid-20s when he recently got interested in theological concepts and secret societies. And we already know he didn't really believe in magic at this point after his experience with the, the witch with, during his nosebleeds. What more do you need? You see a woman climbing out of the chimney and that's not enough? I feel like it at least stuck with him. And so he was like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember that that sorcery. He respected that it had an ability to draw people in, though. Okay, that's fair. I think he took that and ran with it. Mm -hmm. So after getting run out of the church, after losing his virginity to two sisters, by the way, (laughs) Casanova took his gambling habit. Remember, he has a gambling habit. And he traveled the world, sleeping with many women along the way. So this is where we start to see where the Casanova name. Sure. The classic, yeah, trope. 
Mm-hmm. I think in today's world, we still hear the maybe not anymore, but I, I definitely heard it growing up. Like if someone's a Casanova, they're like a little bit of like a like a fuck boy, you know? Like yeah, yeah, they're kind of a little slimy, like not to be trusted necessarily, but like yeah, a player maybe a player. It was like a Romeo, but no, but I think a Romeo and a Casanova are about the same. I I think of they're it, both just from like, Venice. Okay. Well, I would like I would say that the name itself of like that trope is like it means like you get a lot of girls, but maybe not in the right most genuine ways. Yeah, you're sort of a player. I don't know. Yeah, a player, a player. So anyway, this is where he starts sleeping with a lot of women. Mm-hmm. Around 1750, he finds himself in the city of Lyon, France, where he is initiated into the Freemasons. Mm. And he also became involved in Rosicrucianism, which we've covered. Oh, yeah. And he used these connections from both groups to make friends in high places. So he's moving and grooving again. He's back to the schmoozing. Oh, so much schmoozing. Like the number of times where we've seen people in these groups are just having these like highfalutin parties and like making these connections. I mean, this must just be where the higher ups hang out at these bananas occultist groups. No wonder they only let men in half the time. Hey, it makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. And so don't forget, he also had a caretaker and healer side and while it seemed genuine casanova did see that as an opportunity so i gotta say though that is very powerful stuff because like if you're just this sort of kind of sleazy dude sleeping with a lot of people that's one thing but then you have that soft side that's what reels Mm -hmm. people in like you're charming but you also are genuinely a pretty like caring person i mean Talk about persuasive. He's a, a recipe for a, for a bad boy. You know, he's a or a recipe for like a like a I don't know who your parents warned you about. Yeah. Like, gonna, don't get fooled. <laughs> he's going to sleep his way to the top, but he's going to use his kind heart in the beginning to trick you to really reel you in. So he reportedly would profess his supernatural access to medical wisdom. So mm-hmm. in Paris, he this is just an example, by the way, but in Paris, he apparently helped the Duchess clear up her acne. <laughs> Which, like, I feel like in 1750, he was just like, girl, here's some soap. Like, trust me. Oh. Apparently with diet and hygiene, he was able to clean up her acne. And so that made him also look to a higher a higher role. Like, oh, I'm helpful. And I mean, I'm going to say, like... Clarissa would have paid big bucks for this guy. You know what I mean? Like, people are still to this day trying to find the best way to clear up acne. So, like, if he really did that, like, that's that would be impressive nowadays, let alone That's back true. Mm-hmm. That's true. And apparently he did it through diet and hygiene, and she sure. was glowing. She Love was it. a glowing. So during this time, Casanova was still hopping from town to town, usually to be driven away because of his reputation of seducing so many women and being a bullshitter, really. <laughs> okay, okay. I mean, I can't imagine he just helped the Duchess and then didn't try to sleep with her. You know what oh, I mean? Sure. Certain, especially once her skin was glowing and he was like, well... He's like, well, I'm yeah, already here. Exactly. <laughs> I'm already here and you look a lot better than you did five seconds you ago. You look beautiful today. <laughs> And several years after Freemasonry was banned in Venice in 1751, it seems like Casanova was back in town because one night in 1755, just after his 30th birthday, by the way, Casanova's Freemason membership was used against him when he was arrested in Venice and tossed in jail for an affront to religion and common decency. (laughs) The common decency is what gets me. Like, not just religion. I wonder if the Freemasons, like, actively try to expunge that from the record of, like, we were an affront (laughs) to religion and common decency. (laughs) 
So anyway, he was there in 1755 and he spent 15 months in jail until he escaped. <gasps> oh boy. His escape earned him some publicity. Obviously, Casanova, this famed schmoozer, is escaping jail. Mm-hmm. But it also got him exiled from Venice for 18 years. And oh boy. So he went back to Paris in January 1757. And jail must have meant nothing because Casanova picked right back up with his BS. <laughs> this time he's claiming to be a Rosicrucian and an alchemist. Aha. Uh -huh, okay. I mean, we all saw that coming, the alchemist part. I think he was like, oh, for the Freemason thing didn't work. I've still got my little tendrils in the occult world. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it was around this time that the Philosopher's Stone, which we did an episode on, uh -huh. the Philosopher's Stone was a big story. So he wanted to profit from the popularity, of course. Just ride that wave, you know? Riding the wave, just like everyone else was. All the Rosicrucians at the time. It's true. Being a social climber. Not a crawler. Not he could crawl. He probably I think at this point it's turned into like a social sprinter. Like oh, I think sure. he's just trying to get up that ladder as fast as he can. Makes sense. Casanova needed something to keep him in the good graces of the social elite. And that thing was his knowledge in the occult. Okay. I love that though. That's a powerful person to be too. If you're like mystifying to the people mm -hmm. up top, they want to keep you in their circle. If you're already persuasive and you're already a smooth talker and now you've got this like whimsical, mysterious thing that other mm -hmm. people want to know about and you're the only one to look to. I mean, you've really set yourself up. And Absolutely. back to our conversation about assistants and how they're very powerful behind the scenes. I mean, he was already talking to people in these circles. He knew what was going to get them. Yes, that's a great point. He probably ha had all the behind the scenes intel to do with what he wished. Exactly. He had kept it in his back pocket for all those years. He was mm -hmm. like, I know how I'm going to get my way back mm -hmm. to the top. One way he'd made friends with nobles and senators would be to claim he could talk to supernatural beings by using a mystical calculation, using figures and letters from the person's question. So, whoa. It's feeling like he probably used some version of like a numerology situation. Oh, I, maybe, I see. I'm thinking like, oh, the freaking Pythagorean theorem, but I guess <laughs> that makes more sense. We don't totally know. I think it was just his own version of numerology and he was just completely scamming people. Okay, got it. Because usually the calculation was partly just Casanova turning the person's words into numbers uh, by using the number of letters in each word. It was fake math. It was fake math. Okay. Okay. Glad glad we're settled on fake math because I was trying to make some sort of sense of it. But most would. And um, <laughs> maybe that was the brilliance of it where like nobody knew it quite like him. So you had to believe to him. You couldn't crack it because there was no, it wasn't real. That's, I mean, kind of genius. And this mystical calculation would then produce a response that was totally made up by Casanova, <laughs> by the way. But people bought it. People were into yeah, sure. it. So, I mean, way to keep himself exclusive in this totally. circle. Totally. Like, no competition. I have to stay here because you've got no one else with the answers. Smart. So in Paris, 1758, Casanova made friends with Madame du Rumal, who, after convincing her that he'd be able to help her with prophecies and mystical insight, Love they ended it. up becoming buddies. She then introduced Casanova to her husband and her high society friends. So now he's locked in. Rubbing elbows. And believing what he said, she would talk to Casanova as if he could see into the future. And mm. even though he was making stuff up, she was a fallen for it. I mean, it's like that classic trope of the psychic that just tells you what you want to hear, you know? Yeah, exactly. And she was 
buying it. And that was just getting him more and more access to her friends that were in the higher circles. Right. Again, remember his healing side, because there was a point where Madame Ruma lost her singing voice Mm. and Casanova, the helper he is, decided to help heal her. Okay. Okay. Tell me how he did. Do we know how he did it? He has this magical miracle. And it basically he adjusted her sleep and bathing routines and prescribed a fake magical ceremony using the sun that she and she would do this on the daily until her voice felt better. Keep in mind, I have a feeling that this magical miracle was probably just a week of vocal rest. But like, (laughs) yeah. And he said, oh, you have to do it every day for this many days. And by the time the days were over. Yeah. It's like one of those old timey prescriptions where it's like drink alcohol for 14 days and then you won't have a cold anymore and it's like girl if you just wait 14 <laughs> days you won't have a cold anymore alcohol had nothing to do with Where it it's like wow all these migraines and it's like we'll take my magic pill and it's really just codeine and right. cocaine <laughs> and you'll feel so much better because you'll probably right. sleep for three days straight yeah <laughs> but yeah so apparently he healed her voice by adjusting her bathing rituals or whatever but maybe maybe it was the steam Maybe it was the steam. Actually, you know what? Maybe he was onto something there. And then in the sun, you know? I mean, I don't know what the sun does, but the steam, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think maybe half of it was not bullshit, but the other half was absolutely bullshit. Yeah, why am I trying to give him the credit? Like, it's very obvious. Because you're being persuaded 100, 300 years later. Oh, gosh, darn it. In his autobiography, he admits to telling many of France's nobility, usually women, that he was a Rosicrucian. And there were several women in high positions who believed in the occult, the Philosopher's Stone, and alchemy. So they loved that he was a part of that. That's got to also get him get him the girls, too. You have to imagine. Yeah. You know, he's mysterious. He's different than the other guys. He's the bad boy. He's, he's the, the one. He's boy. got all the answers. He's a little spooky, you know. He knows more about you than you think, you know. That's true. Yeah, you could ask him any question about your future. And you know he used that in the most player way of like, I, you're going to sleep with someone tonight. Someone magical is going to climb out of the chimney and then he climbs (laughs) up the chimney. (laughs) No surprise, Casanova also pretended that he could talk to spirits and that he knew all the secrets of alchemy and the occult. Right. So at this point, I feel like he's unraveling. It's like if you like maybe even he believes it a little too much that he can just say anything and anyone say whatever. Yeah. And because of this, rich and powerful women gave him tons of money. They gave him an apartment. They paid his debts and more. I imagine something in a bedroom at one point. And more. And, let's just leave, yeah. Let's just leave and more. <laughs> and more dot dot dot. Just because he could make up so many fake but believable occult practices and magic spells to help fix their problems. Wow. And the fraud can only take you so far. So when everyone finally began to wake up to Casanova's scams, he was run out of France. And life started a downward spiral from there. So I'm just picturing this whole scenario and I'm picturing like in the screenplay version, there is definitely a man who from day one just does not trust this guy. And everyone's like, no, he's totally great. <laughs> and, and his name is Tom Hanks. <laughs> and his name is Tom Hanks. And he's like, no, there's something up with this fella. And like maybe Casanova slept with this guy's wife. I don't know what the vendetta is, but this guy's like, I'm out to prove that he's full of baloney. And I don't know, this is how I'm picturing this scene. And then suddenly people start turning on him. And he's like, I told you guys, this guy was not for real. Scam artist. I'm writing the script. (laughs) We can cut this out. I'm just writing my script. So we'll cut it out, obviously, so we can write the script. (laughs) Yeah. Copyright reasons only. (laughs) (laughs) So now at 38 years old and 1763, 
Oh, How the Mighty Have Fallen. Mm. And Casanova is now in London, and he's hoping to copy his success with the state lottery there as well. But things don't go too well. Oh, The next year, in 1764, he was forced to leave England to avoid a potential death sentence (gasps) for forgery. Oh, no. Which, the fact that you could be executed for forgery is wild to me. But also, he has now been kicked out of Italy, France, and England. That's a lot. That's a lot. So his next stop, your hometown, he goes to Germany. Hey, hey. Where his usual occult scams and seductions didn't work like they used to. (laughs) Are you proud of the Germans in this moment? Uh, I'm not usually proud of the Germans. I'm I'm just going to say blanket no on uh, are you proud of the Germans (laughs) in really any scenario. Like the answer is almost always no. So uh, today I think uh, you're the German tough looks that they probably gave him of like, we are not falling for this. Nice try. It is slightly comical to think of like some of the people I've met who would not even take a second to to hear this guy (laughs) out, to be like, okay, guy, we've seen it all, you know, forget it. Well, so then I don't know if he got kicked out of Germany, but later on, he ends up getting kicked out of different cities in Poland and Spain and Italy again. So he's just like trying to... Sneak back into Italy every five minutes. It's like, give it up, my guy. Like, it's over. It's over. Needless to say, the 1760s were pretty rough on Casanova, and it got worse for the man who was always able to charm his way through life. Oh, no. Are his charms fading? That's kind of a sad—I mean— you know, I know he's kind of the bad guy, but it's it's a little sad. I do wonder, like, what it was that— like, was he just aging out of the things that people needed to hear to fall for him? Or was he just, like— like, was it the the culture of different places and they Great just didn't point. fall for the same thing? Was he, know. like, losing his kind of charm, like you said, kind of aging out of it? Was it, like, yeah, yeah, he wasn't keeping up with the times or the cultures? That's yeah. Really interesting. We got to write this movie. Okay. Got it. We'll write that after our Houdini Broadway where he's, okay. like, going against all the mediums. Yeah, okay, great. So, women, this is when women begin to turn him down for the first time in his life. <gasps> Which, uh, if anyone ever uh, wants to call someone a Casanova, just know that Casanova also got turned down. So that's like you could use that either to your advantage or disadvantage. That could be a fun little tete-a-tete. That's not the right word. A tit-for-tat situation, whatever you're yeah, thinking. Like a little, is it a tete-a-tete? I don't know. But the the where you a have like a back and forth where you could say, oh, yeah, you are just like Casanova in 1765. <laughs> and it's like, wow, you really... Uh, you got him good. Or, you know, it'd be a good, what'd you say, ta-da-ta, is like, you could say like, oh, everyone loves you. You must be like a Casanova. And it's like, um, like six different countries don't like you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, I've burned a lot of bridges. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's one of those things where all of the, uh, a lot of famous sayings out there, they actually have a second half to them people ignore and it actually completely changes the meaning oh, of the yeah. quote. Like out of context. I feel like that's like Casanova. Like I've always thought of him as like this like charming, well-to-do, smooth guy. But like if you look at the second half of his life, like nobody likes him. Like he's getting kicked out left and right from different countries. Yeah, it's like a big fall from grace. Oh, yeah. Oh, and also he was in the occult. We don't ever talk about that. Um. Yeah, right. <laughs> also, there's that that nobody seems to want to bring up. <laughs> So women begin to turn him down, and Casanova wrote about it. This is a quote from him. The power to please at first sight, which I had so long possessed in such measure, was beginning to fail me. That's almost sad. No, Em, I was about to say, I know this is just me getting suckered in, but, like, I feel sad for him. Yeah, things are not looking the way they used to for him. I don't feel sad, like, oh, poor him, I wish, you know. But something about that, I'm just like, 
oh, that's got to be hard. The glory days are, are over. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we can all relate to that in a way. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> well, we don't ha- we don't have that spark we used to. We're all Casanova at heart. <laughs> So throughout the mid-late 1700s, he bounces around Europe wherever he's welcome, I guess. And basically, by the time he turned 60, he was penniless and took a job as a librarian <gasps> about 60 miles north of Prague. Can you imagine, like, the, like what a fall from grace of, like, oh, like, where's that guy that we used to hang out with and party all the time? Oh, he's, like, he has no money and he just, like, lives on the outskirts of a random city. Look at my on LinkedIn. Oh, he hasn't updated it in 40 years. Like, what do you think he's up to? <laughs> Let's find his Instagram and his Facebook. Oh, wow, he's a librarian now with yeah, no like, money? Yeah, I see that coming. Huh. Wow, that's sad. So in 1789, Casanova was obviously depressed. Mm. So his doctor told him he should write his memoir, which is this legendary experience Mm -hmm. that everyone's having. And in a letter to a friend, Casanova says, what pleasure in remembering one's pleasures. It amuses (laughs) me because I'm inventing nothing. I adore this because he has invented so much in his life. And now he says, all of this is true because it all had all my bullshit. I'm putting on the page for you to read. You know what I mean? For all the inventing of a character or a personality or all the, the story inventing he did in the beginning, the ultimate invention was just his his memoir of his like whole oh, life. All of that was just so that one day I could talk about how I made it up. And yeah. like you and I have ha- talked about this. And speaking of persuasion, I would say 95 percent of the time, maybe even more that somebody persuades me to do something. It's because in the back of my mind, I know this will be a fun story someday. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there's an element of that, and that might be why I kind of have an affection for him, where I think, like, you know, he was doing all this nonsense, you know, lying and, like, manipulating and tricking people. But in the end, it was like, now I'm going to write a whole story about how great it was, and we're all going to enjoy it and kind of laugh along. I agree with you, but he does get strategic about it, and he seems to only share the parts that he thinks would be fun. Because I feel like his memoir, so he writes Story of My Life, and it ends when Casanova was 49. So basically oh, all oh, the fun oh. the parts. The fun parts, yeah. Yeah, he really was like, this will be a great story. And then all the parts that I never said that about won't be included in my story. Yeah, which I guess not really the most full-fledged memoir, but I can get, I can understand if you're depressed why you don't want to linger on all that. You don't want to dwell on the downward spiral mm-hmm. part. Yeah. So in 1797, Casanova got sick with a kidney infection and he died the next year. Oh, no. Yeah. That's sad. Casanova would probably love the fact that his name has since been used as an adjective for modern men who behave the way he did. Fascinating. Coming up, we'll talk more about his legacy and our final thoughts on this legendary occult swindler. Oh, I can't wait. I think we can agree Giacomo Casanova was a fascinating person, not for all the right reasons, but even through the lens of his time, he was problematic. Uh Uh-oh. But however, he sort of got what he wanted because most of us today know him as this charming guy with charming ways with women. Maybe not so much as the guy who used the occult to charm his way up a social ladder. Yeah. He definitely, if he wanted to be known for something, and he definitely had a bit of an ego or at least wanted people to think of him a certain way, 
And I mean, hey, since the 1700s, people have literally called anyone good with women a Casanova. Like, Yeah, that name. I mean, we knew that name without even knowing this guy's backstory. That's a pretty powerful legacy he's yeah. left for himself. I feel like that part got left out of his memoir. I think, it, like, I didn't even hear about his memoir. Like, all the hard writing he probably did for that. All to I try know and is- pull himself out of a depression? I mean, wow. Yeah. Listen, I got to say, I mean, maybe this just proves what we discussed at the top of the show that I am clearly a sucker. But like, I'm I don't know. (laughs) I'm like feeling for him. I'm feeling like, guy, I get I get it. You know, you kind of did some not so great things. But what's interesting to me is like, I feel like I mean, he climbed a social ladder by talking about the occult all the time and pretending to be an expert with the occult. And maybe for all we know, he was an expert in the occult. But it's interesting that that was such a big part to the story, and you just never heard about it. I always heard, oh, you're a Casanova. I, I knew no, I knew freaking nothing. No. Like, maybe maybe because there was maybe a time period where, like, the occult wasn't very big. But I would argue that since he died, both waves of spiritualism happened, and no one ever talked about Casanova. I wonder if it had just gotten swept aside, like, not even intentionally, but, like, maybe that just didn't. Like, you just think, oh, Casanova, you had such a way with women. And, like, it never dawned on people to even include that part of him. Which means he must have been so effing good with women to ignore that big-ass plot line. That that part isn't even relevant. Yeah. Well, so in modern times, his name has been used to describe men who behave just like him with women. But Casanova once claimed that he... This I just want to let you know. Casanova once claimed that he had encounters with over 120 women in his life. Ooh, and two of them were sisters, at least two. (laughs) Just to give you some insight on how good he was with women, like we're talking about, because to have been with over 120 women, how did he keep track? Oh, they they keep track. In his book, he wrote that, quote, cultivating whatever gave pleasure to my senses was always the chief business of my life. You know, I'm sorry. I can't. I'm having a hard time faulting him for that because, yes, the lying and the manipulating was bad, but it's not like he was out there, you know, killing people, like ruining lives. Maybe he was ruining lives with like sleeping with people who were married. I don't emotionally, maybe. I mean, maybe. he was just he was just a player. He was just an F boy, you know? He was just seeking his own pleasure. And like, I don't know, maybe I need more details on like how he treated the women. Like maybe I need more That's details. That's a great point. You know, like I don't know. Maybe he treated them like garbage afterward and that would change my opinion. But the way it's presented now is just like, oh, he slept with a lot of women. Like in my mind, that's not a bad thing. You know what I mean? At least nowadays, like it's you can sleep with a lot of people, whether you're a lady, a gent, a baby, you know, and uh-huh, it's like, yeah, you know, yeah. we're trying to make it less of a stigma to sleep with more people. So I'm like, maybe he just was having a good time. But again, that takes out of context how he treated them afterward, maybe yeah. during, maybe. I don't I don't know the details, but I can agree with you. I think in an, in an ever growing sex positive world he seems like less and less of a a villain or a ne'er do well deviant i think yeah. he was just a fuck boy and i think he was just really good at it and this the sliminess of like lying he was just slimy yeah he's a slimy dude you know and we both have talked about how there's that kind of extra icky part of people using spiritualism to mm-hmm. fool vulnerable people who want to connect with their loved ones. And, yeah. you know, I don't have any freaking patience for that. So I guess in that way, like, I don't relate to him on that front. 
But, you know, I do kind of understand the notion of wanting to just follow your own pleasure. And as long as you're not causing too much harm along the way, I guess you do you. But I think in the script that we're writing about Tom Hanks, like being on to him this whole time, in my mind, they both keep bumping into each other at parties. And Tom Hanks's character actually is like a real expert in spirituality and the occult and just keeps hearing him like say all the wrong stuff and misinforming women just to sleep with them at parties. And Tom Hanks is like, I'm on to you. I know that everything you're saying is wrong. And eventually there's like a double blind, you know? I was kind of half joking earlier, but I really think this could be a fun screenplay. Like Tom Hanks has actual Freemasons show up and he's like, why don't you host a seance for us since you know what you're talking about and do it in front of all the women you're sleeping with. I honestly think we could pull something like this off. Okay, I got it. I'll call Tom. You know, all the many times, time slots we have on our hands, all the <laughs> all the free time we have. <laughs> well, I'll end it on this. We started this episode by talking about his memoir. And in 2010, the manuscript for that book sold for $9.6 million. <gasps> whoa, whoa. So he really did, even in the end. Just... In 2010. That wasn't even like that long ago. Like He just like is still raking it in after his death. I wonder where that money went. I don't know. To fund our movie. I sure hope so. In today's society, do you think, I know we've talked about this a little bit, but do you think calling someone Casanova holds the same meaning or is it a bit more negative? I think we both kind of are on the same page here where it just feels like it, it feels slimy, but maybe you're just really good at it. Yeah. And it, I to me, I feel like the, the vibe was always what you mentioned earlier of like the person your parents warned you about, like, mm -hmm. don't get too emotionally invested in someone like that because they probably aren't here for a long term committed relationship. You know what yes. I mean? Like, if that's what you're looking for, fine, like a, like a casual thing. But if you're looking for, you know, a deeper emotional romantic connection, uh, don't let him break your heart because he's a heartbreaker. You know, final question. Do you think for the guy who claims to be an expert or have all the knowledge about the occult, do you think he was actually a legitimate member of any of these secret occult groups? Oh. He said he was a Freemason. He said he was a Rosicrucian. Oh, so we don't he know. said he was an alchemist. I wonder. I feel like if you're hanging around in those circles, though, you're bound to run into people in those actual groups and they would know whether or not you're Yeah. Right. I mean, I feel like you said he was... Uh inducted into the Freemasons. So at least there was that, right? Like at least Yeah, I don't he... know about the Rosicrucian thing. Maybe he was just like an, an amateur, what's it, like an armchair expert or something. Yeah, or... yeah, yeah. Maybe he just had enough intel where he could convince people he was in it, even though yeah. maybe not. Maybe not. I mean, if you hang out with enough Freemasons, I'm sure they're talking about alchemy and all that stuff anyway. So maybe you can just kind of just like pick and choose what you bring up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And also, remember, he got, like, arrested for being a Freemason, so maybe he felt jilted and didn't talk to that group mm. anymore. So then when he climbed a new social circle, he didn't bump into any of them. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say. Hard to say. But anyway, that is uh, Casanova for you. This is one of my favorites. I can't believe I didn't know the story behind the term Casanova. Me either. And I'm mad that after all this time, there was a whole occult backing to no, this yeah. and just no one said anything i'm like that's the more interesting part to this absolutely he was making up his own freaking spells and we could revamp the word i guess where instead of it meaning like oh you're a ladies man it could just mean like casanova should have been a term that houdini called mediums yes. of like oh you're tricking people into spiritual practices or thinking about like a snake oil salesman where you're like you know you're 
trying to help people, but you know you're pulling one over on them. But only for spooky things. But yeah, 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 yeah. From now on, when I call someone a Casanova, that's what I mean. And they're going to be like, thank you. And you're going to be like, mm, mm-mm. <laughs> if only you knew. Listen to this episode and you'll understand. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Information on today's episode came from History Today, The New Yorker, Giovanni Giacomo Casanova, Libertine, Gambler, Spy, Statesman, Freemason by Ira Gilbert, Smithsonian Magazine, Buy.org, Casanova the Rosicrucian by Matthew D. Rogers, Casanova's Celebrity, a case study of well-knownness in 18th century Europe by Nicola Jody Vinoversky and the BBC. Remember to follow Rituals on Spotify to get a brand new episode every week. And you can listen to this and all other episodes of Rituals for free exclusively on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. You can find me at The M. Schultz. And you can find me at Xteen Schieffer. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next week. Rituals is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Jamie Ryan. Research by Chelsea Wood. Fact-checking by Katherine Barner. It's produced by Kristen Acevedo and Jonathan Ratliff with production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Christine Schiefer and M. Schultz. Thank you.